Oh, there it is. <laughs> My screen wasn't changing. <laughs> Welcome to the Black Hat Chat. This is episode two. Um, I'm a bit jerky today. I think my computer's having a problem. So, yes, as I said, welcome to Black Hat Chat. Um, this is where two witches basically get together and we talk about modern crafting uh, or modern crafters. And uh, we talk about magic and witchcraft once a week at this time, every week. And uh, if you haven't joined us before, please join next week if you're watching this after the fact. So I'm Lee, uh, practicing witch and demonolator, and I'll let Kai introduce herself. Introduce yourself. I'm Rev Kai, and I'm an astrologer and tarot reader, and a longtime witch and magician. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So the Black Hat Chat is basically a collaboration between the two of us. Um, as I said, we just we talk about a different topic every week, uh, specifically about magic and witchcraft. Um, we do have a community on Facebook, a Facebook group. If you would like to join, we'd love to have you there. And you can join that and uh, ask any questions you want to, get involved in discussions. And once a week on the group in the room, we on a Sunday, uh, we do have a sort of a get together, you know, anybody can come in and uh, ask whatever they want and we'll just discuss the topics. So it's a face-to-face -face video conference thing. Uh, the links, all the links are in the description. Uh, my, my website's there, uh, Kai's website's there, the link um, to Twitch as well, because Kai is uh, streaming to Twitch. And uh, the Facebook group. And the other new thing is that we are on Buy a Coffee buy me a coffee. Uh, so if you'd like to actually support us, it would be fantastic. Just go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash black hat chat and uh, you can support us there. Right, so today we are talking about familiars and the fetch. So I think we'll start with familiars. Um, all right, back in January, I actually did a month of, of traditional witchcraft and um, it was specifically focused around Nigel Pearson's book uh, Treading the Mill and in the book he has four classifications of familiars and I just want to go through that there are however other classifications which we'll discuss as well but I just want to go through these four because I think they outline them quite nicely um, and we'll just discuss, discuss each one individually so the first one was to do with a household pet uh, whom the witch has raised and trained to do, to do their bidding through a shared link. Now, the link in this case he mentions is basically feeding the pet blood. Um, and I also raised this, this with you in um, Mark Allen Smith's book, uh, Queen of Hell. He actually mentions in there, in order to turn a, a, a pet, uh, an animal, into a familiar, then you actually blood the animal, which means that you take your blood and you, you make a symbol on its head, and then it calls in the familiar spirit into the animal. Um, now, personally, I, I, I don't quite like that myself, but <laughs> you've got an opinion about it. Well, um, both of these ideas are based on... Uh 
creating an energetic link by and life force using something that's readily accessible and full of your energy and life force, your blood. Um, feeding it to a household pet, it's not the greatest idea, but, you know, back in medieval, pre-medieval times, it's the logical, easiest way to do that. Um, because blood is very accessible to your own energy and your own life force. Now, both um, Mark Smith and uh, Nigel Pearson in their books seem to be talking about the household pet as a, a temporary vessel for a spirit that is the familiar. And because you have to go through this ritual to either call the spirit into this vessel or you establish this link and the spirit can come and go and use the vessel. So that could be viewed like, you know, like how we view uh, voluntary possession or um, invocation of a god or goddess or borrowing, all of those sorts of things. But... Least, least as I understood them, that's how I saw it, that it wasn't the physical animal itself that was necessarily always the familiar spirit. Yeah, I mean, as you say, from the whole medieval thing with the witch hunts and whatnot, um, there was that um, spiritual being which acted as the familiar, um, but it got, I think it got twisted a bit out of proportion with uh, the hunters thinking that it was an actual animal that the witches were feeding at night time. Um, which then brings us to, you know, our modern day, where people seem to think that their favorite pet is their familiar. Well, I think that's because there's some different definitions of familiar and fetch going on here. So, mm. you know, if we're talking like the biggest, broadest definition, a familiar is an animal companion. Therefore, pets absolutely fall under that. Um, pets that may be emotionally supportive, pets that may be there when you work magic, pets that are part of your life, uh, you know, whether there's any sort of magical involvement or not, our entire lives and our emotional life is magical. And then there's a smaller definition of a familiar of, you know, an animal that somehow does magic with you. Mm. Perhaps in dreams, um, perhaps through physical ritual, something like that. And then there's another definition of a familiar uh, that's like a gift from a divinity that is very much a spirit, a non-corporeal form that can inhabit the body of an animal, which may be your pet or some animal nearby or something like that. And there's differing ideas about whether that's a every once in a while thing or that's like, you know, it happens and then it's from that point on. Kind of, you know, so, you know, this is where we get into all these different classifications. 
but I think um, a lot of people understand the term as an animal companion. Mm. I mean, several books I've read, that's how, how it's talked about. The familiar is the witch's animal companion. Not necessarily so when, all of the other stuff. So, yeah, so when um, people do talk about their favorite pet, pet being a familiar, we can actually say that it is. Right, under... That's, that's one classification. Right. And, and this is, you know, this is why we get to have these talks, because <laughs> there are always so many ways to understand these different terms, and it depends on context. What your tradition is, what culture you're drawing on, who you're talking to, you know. So we have to, our, our terms are not set. Our terms do not have hard definitions. They have a lot of options under them. And it's important to go in there and, and figure out which options you're talking about when you're communicating about these things. Yeah. Uh, I just want to say hello, Viv. Hope you're well. Um, I do apologize if my video stream is not working properly. It still says error, although it shouldn't be. But I hope you can hear us okay. Um, yeah, uh, I think I think that's actually because a few weeks back um, there was a bit of a discussion on a group about familiars and um, you know people saying that their favorite pet is a familiar. And I've seen it elsewhere. Um, there's a lot of people saying it, and you know they swear by it. And then other people come along, who uh, and I'm guilty of this actually, who say it's not a familiar because it's just a pet. It just likes to be around your energy when you're doing magic because it feels good. Um, but I guess in that circumstance, that person who is calling that that pet a familiar wouldn't, or probably wouldn't be doing things like journeying to the other world where uh, I'm familiar with, it's how I'm familiar or familiar with familiars um, is that <laughs> <laughs> they they basically act as guide and guardian. Um, you know, when you, get, when you travel to the underworld or the other world, they are there with you and they, they guide you through. Um, and in some circumstances, although probably getting a bit more into the fetch side, which we'll discuss later, um, the witch would actually transform into the animal, uh, which would be the fetch beast. Well, but, uh, transform yeah. or go borrowing. Borrowing, yeah. Yeah, that's a whole different. That's a whole other discussion. I think is borrowing. True, but it's it's relevant here because there are a lot of pieces in the lore in various places that talk about the process of borrowing um, as a way to do magic with the familiar. Mm. You know, and this is one of the ones where a household pet could very much be a familiar. Not that the pet and, and their spirit themselves are necessarily magic workers or guide or guardian, but that because of your emotional bond and closeness with that pet, they have consented to allow you to borrow them, and then you can go out with them and see through their eyes and hear through their ears and that sort of thing. And that is a familiar spirit um, or a familiar animal. The animal has allowed the closeness of this bond to let this particular thing happen. 
that is a magical um, phenomenon, but it doesn't involve the animal spirit themselves being your guide or being your guardian or being your teacher. So yeah, again, lots of options here for how we define mm. these words. And it, it depends on, on your background and your tradition and that sort of thing. And, you know, I've met witches who say a familiar is this, but a fetch is this, but a fetch beast is this, but you know, they've, they've divided out all of those different things into different terms for their own work so that they can use, use all of these tools. Yeah. So, yeah, but at the, at the end of the day, the person who has the patch and calls it familiar is actually not wrong. Well, Which I mean, always... it's witchcraft. So there's a lot of ways to do it wrong and there's a lot of ways to do it right. <laughs> there's a lot of ways. <laughs> Not entirely wrong. Let's put it that way. <laughs> right, right. But again, could be right, could be wrong. We don't know yet. But if you're talking about, you know, your average pet that simply likes to lay on your lap when you're meditating and doing energy work, and that's the extent of your relationship, you might not use the term familiar for that, mm. you know. But also, we can approach it another way from another perspective and say that this animal coming into our life did end up being a teacher through the way they taught us about mm. compassion or empathy or interaction with other, you know, beings that don't speak English to us or speak our language to us. And so we could view that aspect of familiar too, in that they brought us very important lessons and may have been something that was sent by a divinity in that case for that experience that doesn't seem necessarily magical. Like we didn't sit down and do, you know, the great ritual of, of putting blood on things, but is still part of the growth and development of the witch. So. Okay. Um, all right, let's get into the, the second one that uh, Neil Pearson, Nigel Pearson mentions. Um, this is a nat natural spirit or being that has been constrained by the witch to perform a certain task or tasks. Uh, he does mention that this is not used very much nowadays because it it's, uh, kind of fits into psychic slavery, uh, which I have to agree with. Um, if you are forcing and binding a spirit to do what you want it to do, that's just, I mean, even from a demonologist's point of view, that's just not on. Well, we, we definitely yeah. have a period of history where the way of working with spirits was to bind and compel them and to order mm -hmm. them about. It, it's, it's in the history. It's there, you know. And so finding that in definitions, finding that in old uh, grammars, I just think that's that's one of those things we have to understand was a historical practice, like, you know, cultures that practiced human slavery that we mm. really don't want to pick up and, and do today. We've decided that's not going to work. That's not something we need to carry forward. Yeah. But I mean, he does mention natural, he says natural spirit or being. Um, but I mean, as we were saying just now, with the... The, the household pet. Um, it could be quite possible um, a divine spirits come along and said, hi, how are you? Um, and I, th 
I'd say in this instance as well, it could be possible because not possible to bind it, but have a natural spirit, a nature spirit, a fae or something like that actually come along and say, I will work with you. And again, we're going to start getting into the fits with this. Um, but if we look into other traditions besides just witchcraft, there are, I mean, there's always mention of if you work with a particular god or goddess or a particular demon, uh, you will be given familiars. Um, I've seen it in witchcraft and I've seen it in demonology. Um, as soon as you, I'm going to say bind yourself to that spirit, um, bind yourself in the, in the manner of, or, you know, the respect of um, working with, uh, making it your patron or your matron um, deity or spirit demon etc and you have that close bond that, that takes place and that because of that close bond you're then given those familiars and those familiars would obviously guard protect guide etc 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 so I'd say it's quite possible with nature spirits that they could actually come along and actually want to help you the world's a big place. There's plenty of spirits that may want to help you with something. There's spirits that may just not like you in any way whatsoever. Um, but yeah, I mean, that idea that this could happen spontaneously, sure. And, and then there's mm. also, you know, people that work towards this, focused goals to meet their familiar, to gain a familiar, and it takes years before the time and, and everything is right and everything lines up. Mm -hmm. um, I was also reading in Robin Austin's book, um, you know, you, you can work towards gaining knowledge of, of your familiar. Um, but at the same time, what usually happens is once you've made that pact, that connection, that uh, bond with the deity, then you, you get the familiars, but you're usually not aware of it. Uh, but they still feed off you. They feed off your energy. Yeah, that that can definitely happen. And there's there's stuff in the lore to back up that idea that the familiars are a sort of gift from divinity mm -hmm. or a, as part of the deal, you know, as mm -hmm. part of the deal of I, I will give you worship or, or offerings and in return, you're granted some powers, usually one of them being a tutelary spirit or a guardian spirit of some sort. And those are called familiars, but that doesn't mean you necessarily have the capabilities or skills at that point to see, interact, learn from them. That's another mm -hmm. thing. <laughs> You've got to develop that also. So, um, and... You know, if it's around you and it's doing things, it's got to sustain its life. That's one of the the clear points about familiars across every one of these definitions. It's alive and it mm. needs to sustain life. Therefore, it's got to eat somehow. You no. know. No. Um, we have somebody in the chat named Useless Familiar. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> they said, this should be good. Hello. <laughs> Hi. There's no way from. I know where, we, we know where Viv's from, don't we? 
Yeah, I'm sure she mentioned last week. Biff, let us know where you're from anyway. I've got a bad memory. <laughs> well, she didn't mention last week because we weren't here. Uh, oh, that's true. Sorry, the week before. Yeah, you see, I've got a very bad memory. That time's not real. Uh, no, <laughs> not at all. Um, Useless Familiar said, uh, I remember reading about how certain Goetia demons can give you good familiars. Uh, I thought it would be funny if one gave a useless one. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you, you can get some useless familiars out there. Um, I haven't experienced them myself yet, but, well, apart from meeting you on, online. There we go. There There <laughs> is um, a modern, modern sort of meme, uh, arcane bullshit. The guys who created that tarot deck, they have a Facebook page and Twitter account, I believe. And uh, they have, you know, secret familiars that pop up with just insane powers that sometimes seem entirely useless or perhaps rather dangerous. You know, it evokes the idea of be careful who you bargain with. <laughs> <laughs> Consider the gift before accepting. So, you know, that idea of the, the useless familiar, um, yeah, I think that has persisted in our collective witch imagination for many years. <laughs> um, now, to get back to that topic, the, you know, when we're feeding a familiar, as I say, most of the time people don't even know they have the familiar, let alone the fact that they're actually feeding it. Um, which would indicate that they're actually feeding off the magician, which is energy itself, which is why I always say do some kind of energy work you know, to build up the energy and then get it running properly. Uh, whether it's Qigong, yoga, doesn't matter, as long as it's getting that energy in there. Um, but now, being aware of this, this knowledge itself, um, even though you are not aware of your familiar, possibly, um, would it be a good idea to put out food, um, alcohol, maybe even uh, some blood offerings and things like that? I, I, I wouldn't put out blood offerings if you don't know what you're offering to. No True. way, no how. Um, mm. Blood provides a direct link to you, and it's, mm. it's fairly permanent. So, I mean, that's why it was used in those rituals for feeding the familiar. So if you're just guessing that maybe that's what's going on and you can't confirm it, mm -mm -mm, no blood, definitely not. Um, mm. But, you know, you could put out food offerings perhaps on your altar in something like, this is for the spirits that surround me that are helping, or this is for the spirits um, that are guiding me sort of thing. And cause that could include familiars or fetches. It could also include your house whites, you know, or, or brownies that are around that are cleaning at night and, and, and things like that. So, you know, if you're not, if you're not real certain what is going on, um, you know, some sort of protection for yourself, uh, whether that's prayers to a divinity or, or, you know, working some sort of protection rituals and then offerings that are specifically to the spirits that are helping you, the spirits that are guiding you. Miss mm. um, Agua, I'm not sure how you pronounce that, sorry, Separat. Um, while everyone 
should be able to do their work for whatever side they're on. We can't judge other people spiritually. Hey, agreed. Um, everybody should be doing uh, what feels right for them and where the, where their path is actually leading them. Um, now, this familiar that we are feeding um, somehow, aware of it or not, could we, I, I, I'd say we can actually fit this in nicely with the principle of, of in chaos magic of, of the servitor. Um, and that's Pearson's third definition, basically. Hmm. A purposefully created magical being that is created for a, a, a set life term with a set task. Hmm. And the ritual he gives for doing that is very much like servitor creation. Uh, that we find in chaos magic and ceremonial magic they're they're the same idea just different languaging around it yeah um this would this would also uh fit in with the alruin mm -hmm. yeah yeah the alruin just is um a plant spirit that is housed in a particular uh plant based fetish basically you're you're making sure to pick a home for it that already resonates with the spirit. So you're asking a plant spirit to come and be your familiar, your teacher. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've seen various things on the Alruin. Alruin, I can never say that damn word. You know, I actually, I actually did a, a video, I think it was in January as well, about, the, about this. <laughs> The amount of editing I had to do because I couldn't say the word properly. <laughs> I can't edit this. That's the problem. Um, there's a lot of different information out there about it. I mean, is it actually the, the plant spirit or is it the plant that has had a, a servitor or an artificial, artificially created being put into it? Well, yeah. Yes, both. In both cases, yes. <laughs> Uh, depends on who you ask, you know, mm. um, my experience with it is the plant spirit and, mm. and, and asking a particular plant spirit, Hey, will you help me? Hey, will you teach me? You know, here, here's the bargain I want to make. I'll make you a little home so you can come inside my house and live past the physical embodiment of this plant body. Um, but there is also the idea that you take the physical housing, you know, and use that to kind of align the energies and get something similar as you create a servitor. So it's dandelion flavored servitor or, you know, mugwort flavored servitor. And it helps you uh, make sure that you're setting your clear boundaries for the servitor's creation. Just another yeah. another piece in the whole mix to make sure that you're getting things the way you want them. Yeah. Miss um, Sephiroth just said, uh, we wrap our minds around what works for other people, then judge them for carving their own path to freedom. Stop judging a spiritual life is to stop judging a spiritual life is to the individual you follow your way that works yes okay um 
Okay, so that, that was basically the third category that Nigel Pearson actually spoke about, was the uh, artificial, artificially created thought form, um, which, as we said, can go into the uh, servitor. I think every tradition across the world, across history, has had some kind of thought form inclusion within that tradition. Um, a lot of people talk about the tulpa, but I have been told that the tulpa is not quite the same thing. This is actually a thought form which is created from emotions rather than intentional. Um, and I think a lot of people get that mixed up. I'm not sure if I'm right, but... Um, so I think in, in most traditions, there is the idea of the created thought form um, that can be intentional or can be an emotional outburst. Poltergeists come to mind. You know, the lore around poltergeists is when someone has these overwhelming emotions and energies and that sort of thing that end up coming out and having a physical manifestation. And sometimes that's a separate willed independent being, you know, um, so that's one of the. I guess, explanations, magical mechanics behind a poltergeist. And that sort of idea shows up in various ways in other areas also. You know, so you can, these thought forms are created because we know that thought forms are the basis for physical manifestation. It's got to start as an idea. It's got to start as a thought first. And it can just be created there and stop without, completing physical manifestation, but that can happen organically, unconsciously, without intention. So, mm. and a huge uh, emotional impact changes vibrations and energy. It has an energetic impact. We can, we can feel it. That's why we can use that process in magic also. And so sometimes it gets sentience, life finds a way, and then yeah. does its thing. And, but we can also do that all on purpose, you know. Mm. I mean, if I think about the familiar, um, you know, the, my understanding of the familiar is that it is, it is there to guide you and guard you into the other world, um, which would indicate it's quite a powerful being. Um, and if I think of an artificially created thought form or a servitor, then, you know, you always get the warnings about servitors if you feed it too much energy, if you uh, make it too powerful, if you make it too big, it becomes sentient and it could actually turn around and kick you in the arse. Mm -hmm. um, because in this, I suppose in this instance, it would it, its job would specifically be to serve that purpose of guiding and guarding you into the other world. Um, but in this case, I mean, I think it could turn around at some stage and kick you in the ass if you're not treating it right. Oh, I, anything can turn around and and exact its due if you're not treating it right. Absolutely. Yeah. But so this is a definition of familiar that covers a wide range of things, including the term fetch, not not the soul part, but a spirit that goes and gets you things and brings them back. Like you, you ask your fetch, go get me money. So they might help you find a job or, you know, that sort of thing. 
So they go and get you those magical things and bring them back. It's a way of spell working and uh, purposely created servitors fall under that kind of familiar too. You could act, you could create them to be guide and guardian. Sure, that could be their task, but their task could also be, you know, to help you do the dishes. Yeah. So, you know, again, a, a broader definition of familiar that we can apply uh, that covers a wide range of things. So lots of overlapping Venn diagrams here. <laughs> We should do that one day. All Stop the doing all the ways maps. to be a, a familiar. Yeah, I actually <laughs> do that in my own journals um, when I'm learning about cultures and concepts and that sort of thing. Because then I can say, oh, these these parts are where they're similar. These parts are where they're very different. This overlaps here. It just it helps me organize my thoughts and my understanding. Mm. Um. Now the fourth one. It is the extrusion of the fetch body of the witch, uh, which it means that we're going to get into the topic of the fetch. Um, now, the fetch, as far as I remember, is an Anglo-Saxon term, spelled F-E-C-C-E, -E, uh, and pronounced fetch. So, obviously, the modern English has been uh, shown or written as being the normal spelling of fetch, as in, you know, you send your dog to go fetch the newspaper. Um, now, my the way I've come to understand the fetch over the years is that it is a fey being uh, comes from the fairy realm. It is your um, your other half, which creates a hole once you meet it, get to know it, and marry your fetch your fae companion um, and it's also split into two you've got your fetch mate which is that fae companion and then the fetch beast and the fetch beast is the one that we're talking about here in terms of the familiar because that resides in your heart center and uh, is the one that you ride into the other world um, that's always been my understanding so um from a modern heathen perspective, we could say that the fetch is a part of your soul. Um, and in, in the term soul here, we mean your physical body is a part of the soul, um, your spirit or divine bit, whatever that is, your immortalness that is connected to divinity is part of divinity. That's part of your soul. There's other things that are part of your soul. And there is this independent spirit almost like we would think of another person, but they're not a person, they're not human, that is your fetch. And that can take the form of something human looking. Um, and often there's a, um, a desirous love, sexual kind of chemistry attraction component involved in there. So we often say that it is your other half, that there is the fetch marriage, that sort of thing, that two halves of a whole uniting, but it can also take the form of an animal. And they're the, they go back and forth um, in these forms, depending upon how they want to appear to you, you know, what they want to teach. And generally people don't know their fetch when they are young, but they tend to see it more and more and more as they get older, because the fetch is the guide 
to uh, the the process of death. So the fetch is involved in helping um, let the hammer, the physical body dissolve and guiding the spirit into whatever the next stage is, you know, whether that's reincarnation or dying into the mound with the ancestors. But the, so the fetch is its own thing, but also part of you. And sometimes we're talking about a fetch that every single person has an individual fetch. And sometimes we're talking about the fetch that belongs to the family, to the clan, to the tribe that is passed down through generations. And that's part of the reason you don't get it till you're old because mm. it's doing things with the other members of the family and, and moves through so that you learn these lessons at a certain time in your life. And there's also the idea that your individual fetch might be expressed in animal form that matches your family. These are the bear people. These are the wolf people. These are the raven people, so on and so forth. And that's how they tend to express to you so that you can understand those lessons because those animals are present in your environment and in your life. So there's a, a great deal of communication and, and built-in understanding there. Okay. Um, should we take a quick break? Sure. Tea uh, intermission. Tea and, and coffee intermission. I think there's only one person on here at the moment. This thing's still buffering. I don't know why. We've got proper video going through now. <sighs> Hopefully it just turns out all right. <laughs> My mic's noisy again. These kids outside. All right, then. Uh, we're just going to take a quick break and get some more coffee and tea, and uh, we'll be back in about five or ten minutes. Be right back. And we should be back. Yeah, we are. We're back. We're back. I'm back. Yes. <laughs> All right. Do you want to carry on with the fetch? So... So fetch. So we've talked about the term familiar, which generally means helpful companion animal spirit. Could be just a companion, could be help somehow with magic, could be guide um, or a teacher type spirit, uh, could also be guardian type spirit or any combination of the above. Um, then we've got fetch, which can also be a guardian guide type spirit and a magical aid type spirit. Um, there is lore that says it's called a fetch because it goes and gets it and brings it back. But then we've also got this part of the fetch that is um, part of the witch themselves. So we can approach it from it's uh, another being that is part of our, our soul part of our, our makeup, that we're born with it. And then we've got kind of the extrusion of the fetch body, which doesn't really separate it off into another independent being, but kind of views it as one's own innate animal nature. So some of the descriptions I've read of the fetch are like um, the time we remember from being animals. You know, the time we remember um, from being not human 
And there is that part of us that's still in our DNA, that's still somewhere in our, our brain and our programming and these memories. And so it is this kind of deep, deep ancestral memory we are tapping when we are talking about the fetch that we may extrude from our body. And extrude is a very good um, word for this because we're not just talking about something else that lives inside of us, but we're separating out a part of ourselves so that we can have a conversation with it. We make the unconscious conscious and we anthropomorphize it as a kind of animal because that's the kind of conversation and communication we need to have for that guide guardian process to happen. And what animal that is varies very widely. You would think um, if it was just a human thing, they'd all be apes, right? But it's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's actually brings to mind when I was studying Kabbalah with uh, Yakuba Swat. Um, you, you know, he, he speaks about the uh, three parts of the soul, which would be the higher, middle, and lower. And the lower is the nefesh. Um, now, there's some rituals that he gives in one of his books. Um, he taught me was uh, that you actually can pull your nefesh out of your body and actually communicate with it. Uh, which is very similar to this, actually. Uh, it reminds me of modern therapy of talk to the empty chair so that you can say the things you need to say to your inner child, you know, um, except it's the other way. In this case, you want the part of you that comes out to talk to you and, and teach you things. Yeah, that's uh, the game with your Quirbus and uh, William Gray actually taught it in this uh, was to when you when you're actually getting to know the the, 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 the try that again trying to get to know the nefesh um one of the ways you do it to begin with is actually talk to a mirror mm -hmm. um and you, you basically just talk to yourself in the third person and then you develop on, on from there and you can ask it questions and it'll give you answers usually in dreams actually and those you know the earwigs that you wake up with uh, you've got that song stuck in your head when you wake up and it's usually a message from Unifesh. And again, it, it all ties together um, yeah. you know, with, with Melia and with working with other, other spirits as well. Yeah, if we're going for medieval witch type lore, we've also got that, you know, traveling or borrowing with your fetch spirit or going on journeys with your fetch was occurring in dreams. You know, the witch might enter a trance and do the ritual in order to to hop aboard and, and go on this night ride but then they would fall asleep and the the lessons and the journey and the experience would occur in their dream so mm -hmm. dream experience of the fetch and the familiar is extremely common across many different cultures um there's some lore that the fetch that is one of your soul parts um, you meet them the first time in a dream. And that's how you know that they are your fetch, because then when you meet them outside of the dreaming, you recognize them. Mm. Uh, I must say, I mean, I've had, I wouldn't say a lot, but uh, probably a handful of dreams over the years where I believe I've met my, met my fetch mate. Um, and I say that because 
in the dream there's a completely different feeling um the emotions that that run through you is absolutely incredible and i mean i wake up and the rest of the day i just i've got these emotions and they're strong and i i'm i'm not a person who actually feels strong emotions half the time <laughs> for this to affect me that much there's got to be something to it um but yeah yeah i can still clearly recall the dream where i feel like i met my fetch mate and mm. it was a long time ago you know but it was so intense and it was otherworldly. It didn't feel like a normal dream, but it also didn't feel like a prophetic dream or a lucid dream or a dream where I did some magic work, you know, or a dream that was like telling me that the magic I did previously worked. I mean, there's a lot of, lot of potential communication in dreams because your subconscious gets to pass you some information you know, your other self gets to, to give you all of this stuff. But this dream had this quality that was unlike any of the others. And it was so intense, so mm -hmm. emotionally intense that it, it feels like it left an imprint on my soul. Yes, It's the only way to describe it. And then, mm -hmm. so after that happened, I, I wasn't out looking for that. I was rather young, then nothing happened for a long, long, long time. It was like that intense experience, but I wasn't pursuing it. And I only understand in hindsight, that's what that was. Took me a while to figure it out, you know, but there was that very intense quality that couldn't be anything else, you know? <laughs> All the other mm. all the other possibilities lucid dreaming and magic and divination and prophecy and you know all that stuff it wasn't that it was something else yeah it was similar i mean i remember i remember the first dream and it was that that sort of it didn't feel like a dream it didn't feel like real life but nothing not much happened it was just a meeting it was just you know hi i'm here and that intense emotion, yeah, I woke up, all I wanted to do was go back to sleep for the rest of my life and just, you know. Right. Let me just stay, stay there. Please just let me go yes. back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it had that feeling. The stuff that I had to wake up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you, you did say just now that um, after you've met the fetch in the dream, you would then meet it. Um, I'm assuming you're not meaning real life, more... Well, as a world journey dreaming type stuff, yes, both. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so yes, more other world journey type stuff where I would um catch out of the corner of my eye, a f you know, something with me. Sometimes uh, they looked human, sometimes they looked in animal form. Um, I also purposefully did meditations and that sort of thing to meet my fetch and it, the same being would show up and and the first time i did that so i had this dream when i was young did the purposeful meditation to meet my fetch like as a, a early adult and i did that and the being came out of the woods you know it was a guided meditation we ended up in a clearing in the woods sitting across from a fire and and your 
uh, fetch beast was supposed to walk out of the woods towards you, and then you sat around the fire, had whatever conversation you needed to, whatever communion you needed to. And so I did that. Uh, my fetch came out of the woods and was just like, what the fuck? You know me. And left. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> hey, that was... I guess that was helpful, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, you know, uh, that was, that was the content of that meeting mm -hmm. uh, and it felt, I had anticipated a lot. I had hoped for, you know, learning all of this knowledge and this wonderful connection and all I got was like, uh, dude, what? And they were gone. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that triggered the process for me of going back and reviewing my experiences and my journals mm. and everything else and going, how, how do I know them from where, you know, yeah. when did this happen? So, I mean, it didn't have the desired effect. I figured it out because of that. And mm. my experience with my fetch as a teacher has been very much like that. You know, okay, this is a pool and you want to swim. <laughs> You'll figure it out. I'll be here if you die. You know, that's, but that's my experience. That doesn't mean that's going to be somebody else's experience with their fetch and how they, yeah. they interact that way. No, it actually reminds me of um, after I had my um, near-death experience, uh, if you want to call it that. And uh, during that experience, there was a, um, a red Indian warrior, but an old man that was in there. And then afterwards, he became a tutelary spirit. And so I'd, I'd meditate with him and, you know, he'd help me with things and whatnot. But he was this old, old Native American Indian guy. And um, and then one day, sat down to meditate, so I waited for him to come. And all of a sudden, it's this young guy. So I said to him, who are you? And he said, well, I'm the same guy. I said, but you, one minute you're an old man, one minute you're a young man. How am I supposed to believe you're actually there? He said, but I'm not really here, am I? <laughs> I was like, okay, well, fuck you too. <laughs> so I've also met my fetch in the physical. As hmm. a physical, as a physical animal. Um, and for me, my... My rational explanation for those occurrences very much fit the earlier definitions of familiars we were talking about, where a spirit it, um, embodies, um, invokes into the body of a physical animal, and then communicates uh, through that physical form. Um, so this has happened to me in a, a variety of, of times over the years, and in different animals there there's a, mm. three that are pretty consistent you know that i i pay attention to now um but it's not always a black cat it's not always a dog it's not always a raven it's not always a snake you know it moves but what clues me in that this is what is going on is i feel that same intensity of emotion mm. And if you've never been strangely sexually attracted to an animal at the zoo and you cannot fucking explain it, <laughs> you know, and it's just, it just blips by for a moment and your conscious mind goes, what the fuck was that? 
that makes no sense. And then, oh, oh, that's what's going on. Why? Why do you trigger that? What? You know? <laughs> Why does that bit fire off in my brain when that happens? You know? <laughs> but you got to go home and have a good shower. Mm. <laughs> I, I kind of weirded and shook myself for a little bit. Like, nope, stroke. Something's gone wrong. <laughs> you know? I don't know what's happening. Um, but then. I caught up and realized what was happening and realized, no, this wasn't, this wasn't sexual attraction or anything like this. This was that just knock you on your ass intensity. Mm. And it was just, it wasn't like the dream where it was a sustained bliss, ecstasy kind of feeling of being whole and complete. It was just a brief blip of it, like just a taste to remind me, this is the energy. Yeah. This is the energy that is, this is what is going on. Um, but that doesn't happen every single time either. So there, there are instances where I feel that my fetch has brought me something, taught me something, kept my ass from walking over a metaphorical cliff. Um, when I don't feel that, when it is, I, I go, oh yeah, well, they were there, you know, or I, I do that, you know, out of the side of my eye, astral vision kind of thing, and see them right there. Mm. <clears throat> um, just wanted to say, if anybody is watching my side on YouTube, I do apologize. Um, I think my video has stopped. I hope my audio is still going, but we'll have to find out afterwards. Um, and if you uh, want to join our community on Facebook, uh, links are in the description and you can also support us now on buymeacoffee.com forward slash black hat chat uh, just had to get that in there while i've got some people on here oh and patreon <laughs> we're on patreon too so whatever uh, you prefer patreon. whatever's easiest yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so um so physical forms of the Oh, Viv says she is over on Twitch now because the audio kept cutting out on YouTube. So, uh, okay. At least right, we've well, got well, two. <laughs> we, we've got a backup. <laughs> we've got a backup. Uh, yeah, so I think what I'll have to do is grab the video from you and upload it on my side. And uh, I'll just I'll check this afterwards and see what's happening. With it. So, we've got anyway. another thing that goes here under familiars also that was not in any of the books we referenced. And that is kind of the necromantic approach to familiars. So there was in physical life an animal that you had a close emotional connection with that may have fulfilled the role of familiar at that time, whether it was, um, you know, uh, like we talked about the household pet, close emotional bond, or, um, assisting with magic or guide guardian teacher kind of thing mm. and then after that physical animal passes you perform rituals on purpose to enliven their spirit to become a guide guardian spirit for you um and in in my practice of this because I've done it a couple of times it's a very consensual kind of thing 
um, both of the times that I have done it, it has been a pet that I have raised from teeny tiny just born until they passed, you know, and I had a very close emotional connection with them and some magical interaction with their spirit during their physical life, but a great deal more after they passed. Mm -hmm. And it's very similar to the ones, uh, the rituals that are described uh, where you would bind yourself to a spirit that was given to you by divinity or where you would purposely create a familiar spirit. There is a, a link that happens. There is a bonding that happens, a sort of marriage uh, that occurs between you and the spirit and you agree to feed it, you know. Um, but as with all of these rituals, I feel you should choose a feeding method that um, is not troublesome, such as, you know, feeding it nightly with blood or something like that. And when you don't have to feed it every single day, you set the time frame for feeding and renewal. And it doesn't have to be blood or your physical essence or your psychic essence or your life energy either. You know, it can be the the energy that comes from food. It can be the energy that comes from the sun. It can be plant energy. You know, there's a lot of options um, for feeding a familiar spirit. Mm -hmm. um, actually, just going back to the medieval reports um, that took place during the, the witch hunts, um, they all spoke about an extra nipple that the familiar spirits actually fed from. Is there any basis to that? Is there any truth to it? Well, I think there's a couple things going on there. Um, from all of the lore and including the stuff that was passed down, I think that definitely uh, some of what was happening for familiars in the Middle Ages was the witch bleeding and giving their familiar a drop of blood. Whether that was on a, a physical house object or whether that was a physical animal or something else, that seems to be so much all over everywhere that, that we can guess that that's probably what is happening. Now, nipple could be a scar that is repeatedly pricked open for blood. You've just picked this spot, you've cut it open so many times that it's gone numb, so you keep using it. You know, kind of like a fistula for um, repeated IV treatments. Um, it could also be a supernumerary nipple. Humans have those much more frequently than we think. And with all of the interesting diseases and foods and, and terrible quality of life that I'm sure a good deal of people were experiencing at that time. Um, lactation, pus, uh, bleeding, that sort of thing from a supernumerary nipple, I wouldn't think would be that unusual, especially if it was seen as something on the body that was bad. I mean, if, if you know that humans are supposed to have two nipples and when you get undressed, there's a third one, you mm -hmm. might try to cut it off or remove it with herbs or something like that to avoid being a witch um, or, or just to avoid being weird. People have lots of, of concerns about the appearance of their physical body and that could lead to infection and, and pain or numbness 
or, you know, all sorts of other things. So the idea that that got tied into these people that were othered from society, that were outcasts, that it would have turned to witchcraft and magic seems perfectly logical to me. Mm. Now... Yeah, I've always thought that maybe it was, I mean, yes, uh, people do have a, an extra nipple, but um, in all cases. Um, but I've always thought that it would basically be a cut that has scabbed over and then the examiners being the idiots they are um, would have a look at the body and go, oh, there's an extra nipple. They're feeling a familiar, but it's all it is is a, a cut that's just scabbed over. Or, or a skin tag or a mole that's done something weird. I mean, you know, people weren't going to the dermatologist back then to have somebody look at their moles and see if it was skin cancer and growing. Yeah. You know, so I think there's a lot of physical explanations for what it could be. But I think that also should not discount the metaphysical uh, potential experiences that was happening. Mm. You know, um, if the logical way of giving something small and newly born life is to nurse it at a nipple, then why would that not become an analogy or a metaphor for what was happening for familiars that were feeding from the body of the witch? Mm. You know, we use analogies and metaphors like that all the time to describe these magical otherworldly kinds of experiences because i mean we don't have language for it we're doing our best to describe these experiences and that that nursing a familiar at a nipple kind of idea seems a very logical analogy whether that was happening in the physical whether we're talking about a physical nipple or a mark or something like that you know but we've also got the influence of the witch trials and the Inquisition that are looking for physical proof on the victim's body. And mm. we really don't know history-wise which way the influences went. You know, is it the, the beliefs of the Inquisitors that are having influence on the society and therefore the culture and lore around witches changes because of that until witches eventually incorporate that into their practice? Is it going the other way? Are these real experiences that people are sharing? We don't know. We have trial records full of torture. You know, mm -hmm. we can't, you know, but there's a lot of possibilities to consider there and there's a lot of ways to reason and logic through that if that's what you're looking for. Some people that's really important to their practice and other people, it, it doesn't matter. It depends on, on how you're defining and what you're basing your practice off of. Yeah, it's neither here nor there really. Um, Nicole Berkeley said, hi Lee and Revkai. Hi Nicole. Uh, if you are having difficulties listening to us on YouTube, go over to Kai's Twitch stream. Uh, it's apparently working a lot better there. <laughs> Uh, it's Wildwood Black Hat Chat, all one word. Wild has a Y in it. So. Yeah, but you'll 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 find the link in in the description of this video of the uh, of this live on YouTube anyway. Just scroll down there and have a look. So, um, 
Yeah. We've talked a lot about what a familiar or a fetch is. So let's talk about why. Why would you want a familiar or a fetch? Or why would you want to to do this sort of work? Mm. Well, I mean, if you're asking me, <laughs> I mean, you, you would, you, being a witch, you're basically working with both worlds. So you are moving from this world to the other world and back again. And, you know, if we look at Toltec practice as well, we're, we're moving into altered, altered uh, states of consciousness and into alternate realities and things like that. So all of the traditions and faiths were working with one foot in both worlds, uh, which would be the realm of the hedge rider. And in order to do that, you do need some assistance. And that assistance usually does come from the familiar uh, or the fetch, depending on where we take that discussion. Um, I mean, the way I'm coming to understand it is that the fetch and the familiar can be actually be the same thing at the end of the day. Um, and the familiar is a tutelary spirit. They are a guide. They are a guardian. Um, so they're, they're around all the time while you're actually doing your magic and witchcraft anyway. It's not just about that moving from one world to the other or riding your familiar spirit into the other world or to the witch's savage. Um, they're there all the time. They're looking after you. They are guiding you. They're pushing you in certain directions. If you ask a question of, you know, where can I find certain knowledge, they'll push you in a direction where you can actually find it. Um, and that reminds me very much of the demon, um, or the personal daemon of the, uh, the Greeks. Uh, which is a tutelary spirit, and you have your own personal daemon who does exactly the same thing. Um, so we've got all these tie-overs again, and maps, and... Lots of, lots of correlations. I think also mm. another important aspect is protection. Uh, we say guardian, but this is protection for doing the dangerous things as a witch, like traveling to the other world, um, interacting with other spirits, uh, doing soul retrieval, doing healings, um, astral projection. Um, one of the things that Pearson talks about is um, being out astral projecting, getting in a bind, and your uh, familiar brings you back because mm. they can wrap themselves around both your astral body and your physical body and push them back together. And it's a, an experience that he says, because the fetch body is completely wrapped around all of you, you will perceive doubles or triples of it. So that laying in bed, weird dream, wake up, suddenly surrounded by wolves, you know? <laughs> That could be that experience of seeing your fetch, but you're seeing it completely around you. And so that interpretation up to the consciousness as your rational brain tries to make sense of it is, oh, you know, I'm completely surrounded by this animal. So, you know, yeah. that's an aspect as well that can be very comforting and useful because witches, hedge riders, spirit travelers, all of these technicians are not terribly safe. 
you know you're going out and exploring you're uh, going into other realms you're adventuring and you know something that's got your back and can keep you safe is um, very very good to have especially because the fetch is an independent spirit that knows things you don't so they can keep you safe when you don't know you're in danger but i think it's also i mean there's a lot of emphasis on the fetch and the familiar and the daemon personal daemon protecting you during those those travels um there's i think we also need to mention that that protection also carries over into you know the organic world um because we're not just just doing those that journey work we're also doing magic within our realm here um, and as you noted uh, to me yesterday i i have uh, some goesha uh, protection um which would be my work with the goesha spirits uh giving me familiars uh, in the same vein as working with uh, you know a god of god goddess and getting familiars from them and so there's there's also that physical protection not just the astral body but you know then we can start getting into the whole this physical world is actually a dream and the dream body is connected to our organic body and you know when that's dreaming we're awake and when we're dreaming that's awake so you know it's working all over the place and in between and throughout <laughs> yeah i think we we look for explanations of these phenomena because we want to understand why and how and we can provide a lot of options for those explanations we can find them in a lot of cultures and a lot of different languaging um and we need those we're humans we're curious you know uh, when we first learn to talk what do we do we ask why all the time right because we want to know these things so i think it's important to also realize that just because you have an explanation of how it works or why it works doesn't negate or necessarily validate what's happening it's just another way for you to understand and because this person might have the same experience as this person but they're in two different times cultures environments and worldviews they have different ways of describing those experiences uh, so that's not to say that everybody's having the same experience or everybody's having a different experience i think we can point to some some commonalities across a lot of things here of what's happening and perhaps why it's happening mm -hmm. um when i actually this was years back now um when i was actually learning more about the fetch i was also learning about kabbalah at the time and i there was something that came up which got me very curious and i've never actually found the answer to now in kabbalah if you look at adam kadmon um and the, the four um, emanations of Adam Kadmon, where he becomes um, androgynous and then hermaphroditic and then splits into male and female. 
that reminded me so much of the fetch and you know the, the fake companion that you marry to um i mean we can also talk about uh, crowley's um holy guardian angel in this terms as well mm-hmm. um but what the question that actually came to mind for me was i mean we've spoken about the fetch taking physical form in an animal can the fetch taken physical form in a person so i'm gonna say no well i'm gonna say maybe temporarily that's that's the thing temporarily (laughs) i i don't think there's another person um walking around that is the physical embodiment of someone else's fetch 24 7 the entire lifespan but just like our experiences you know you're on the city bus and all of a sudden you realize you're talking to odin (laughs) because he's decided to show up and talk to you through this person that's sitting across from you for two sentences i think the same thing can happen with the fetch um that you know they may embody in a person i think a lot more common is they appear as a person not necessarily in physical form but you know this could be an animal could be a person um takes whatever form makes sense for what's going on um and can change form you know i i've had dreams where I've watched my fetch transform from animal to human because it's it's what was needed at the time but like I said I don't think it's another person 24 7 their entire lifespan because there is definitely this idea that even though the fetch is an independent being um, it has intelligence and that sort of thing leaving aside servitors for a moment that we purposely created, um, that there is a, a difference in status, a difference in um, application uh, of willpower and, and environmental influence. The fetch definitely has more status and application of will in the other world. But in our physical world, the witch has more status and application of will. So to have the the fetch become co-equal into another embodied person doesn't make sense in that the other person is another person with their own fetch, you know. Yeah, I was just always curious about that because it was around about the same time. It was about 10 years ago. Um, I did the Abramelin operation and uh, met my holy guardian angel, got the name, etc., etc., and realized that it's the same thing. Um, it is the personal demon. Uh, it is the fetch. The same spirit. The fake, yeah, the fake companion. And when we speak about doing that work with the Holy Guardian Angel, I mean, you don't have to do the Abramelin to you know, get into knowledge and conversation. Um, but when you're doing that work, we always speak about a marriage happening. And when I was looking up information about the fetch and the fake companion, the same thing came up as a marriage that happens. And at the time, I thought, you know, you have to uh, go into the fairy realm and... Uh, 
get married, but uh, the marriage is just really just a, a bringing together a union. Um, well, I mean, we also talk about the alchemical marriage and, and the, you know, the marriage of uh, earth and air and, and that sort of thing. So marriage is another one of those easy analogies to describe binding, uniting, oathing, mm -hmm. promising, you know, those sorts of energetic arrangements. Um, so a while back, I hope I'm remembering which book it's in, but it was, uh, I think, Cunning Folk and Familiar Spirits by Emma Wilby. If not, it was Visions of Isabel Gowdy by Emma Wilby. Um, I've got both those. I need to read them, actually. Where <laughs> she talks about some historical examples uh, of these familiar spirits, the, the fey wife, the fey spouse, and one of the cases, uh, the, the witch in question married uh, their fey spouse, uh, you know, man dressed uh, in old-timey clothes who would grant her gifts and help her with the cows and that sort of thing. And it was really interesting to read how matter-of-fact it was how you know when they first met it was courting and he brought her lots of gifts and she was very happy and very enamored of him and they got married and then as the years drug on well he had work to do in the fairy courts and things and he wasn't always around when she wanted him you know uh, but sometimes she would pray for healing for other people that's primarily what her skills were and he would come and sometimes he would say he could help and sometimes he would say he couldn't you know, so mm. it, it was very much an analogy of a real marriage with a an independent person who wasn't always there, wasn't always at your beck and call, you know, and couldn't do anything and everything, not a god, you know, didn't have purview over everything else. And all of her spirit spouse's uh, assistance was through her. He didn't necessarily do things on his own. He didn't go and heal the other person. He told her how to do it. Mm. So that had that that very familiar kind of feel, even though in this instance there was no animal referenced or seemingly involved in the the entire experience for this person. Yeah, the I think you know talking about this, we also need to talk a little bit about Faye. Um, and you, you know, I've been studying and having a, a better look and practice with the Jin at the moment. And they, the Jin and the Faye, the European Faye, are I find very similar. They have their own society. They have their own uh, hierarchy. They have their own own religions um you know spirituality spiritual practices they can choose what religion they actually want to follow um and there are instances in history where people have reported that they have married jinn um so the same thing happens um but now the jinn would be based in arabia uh, within the islamic traditions and things like that whereas when we speak about Faye and the Fetch, it's more European-based. Um, and I don't think they can overlap. 
Um, I'm going to say physically. I know that's the wrong word. Um, geographically? Do... Yeah, I suppose geographically would be a better word. Um, I think the makeup and their whole being is different, but they are similar. It's kind of, I suppose we could actually say it's similar to the elemental spirits. Um, you wouldn't find a, a fire elemental um, you know, mixing up with a, an air elemental, for instance. Um, you wouldn't find a fire think. elemental in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. No, definitely not. Yes. <laughs> well, if you, if you did, they wouldn't they wouldn't be there for very long. Um, but yeah, there's. There's, there's the similarity between the two, and you've got these this, these accounts of being married to Jin, and you've got the accounts of being married to Faye. We also hear about the Watchers um, mm. who had intercourse with human women and created the Nephilim. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's a definite connection. There's a definite connection between the two worlds. I feel it happens less and less nowadays. And what I've heard is that the the worlds have been moving apart because ours became more technolog technologically advanced, and through that we we kind of disregarded um, the net natural world and the world of the fae and things like that. And through that, they've been moving further and further and further apart uh, throughout the centuries. Um, which has made it more difficult to actually interact with Fae. Um, old records and, and things like that speak about, you know, walking down the street basically and just saying hi to, to a fairy. Um, but that's it's, doesn't happen that often anymore. So I'm going to disagree, of course. Because okay. <laughs> one, time's not real. And two, um, all of these other entities that were calling Faye and, and Jen and even elementals and stuff, I don't know whether they're all the same thing or not. I'm not, I don't know enough to know that, but I can group them similarly. But I think the whole modern world is uh, not experiencing connection as much is not necessarily because of the ills and evils of modernity. I think it's because we don't have that as a, an explanation we go to frequently. Mm -hmm. We walk down the road and we meet someone who's very odd, who triggers feelings of being very different in us. We have a brief exchange with them. They impart something to us um, that turns out to be meaningful. We do not go, oh, that person was a fae, or I met a fairy. We go, they're mentally ill. Mm. We have physical, um, materialistic explanations for a lot of these experiences. And because that's the understood uh, rationale behind what is happening, most of us accept that at face value and do not therefore turn around and report this experience to other people necessarily or if we do we do not class it as i met a fairy mm. and therefore you know we're not passing on stories of meeting fairies anymore and there's another component to that that if we do if we say i talked to odin on the bus 
or you know i met a fairy in, in downtown and they gave me this weird piece of paper and it turned out to be a key to another world people think we're crazy <laughs> so there's also you know the discouragement from reporting things to other people and and describing the experiences that way yeah I was actually reading a book last night, um, a load of interviews with different shamans. And uh, the one was actually talking about um, uh, people with psychological problems. And he's, a, he's actually a, a clinical psychologist. And he said that about, I think it was 60% or 70% of the cases that come along are actually just people who have had a sudden connection to um, shamanism and the other world and things like that and they've just been lumped into this crazy space um, but it's often because they don't have a community around them that can actually help them with it and I think that's what it is is you know back in the day um, when you walked down the street and you said hello and you knew it was a fae immediately is because that was just normal life nowadays it's not yeah, uh, our worldview shapes our understanding. What, yeah. When we have experiences, we have to slot them into what is possible. And what is possible is only composed of what we know is possible. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have to start there as our explanations. And I think because of that, because that reinforcing community for our worldview is different now we have a different experience of the world which mm. is why i talk all the time about different cultures different traditions different times different places because those are all different worldviews and so their interpretation of the experience what they feel is important to say and pass on and what they don't feel is important to say and pass on is shaped by that cultural worldview at the time just as our understanding of that information and all of our experiences has to go through that filtering process of how we can understand it how we can wrap our minds around our experience and make sense of it and we don't live in 13th century england so we can't have a 13th century england experience you know because we we don't have all of the, the people around us to reinforce that worldview. Yeah, unless we do that, do get that community around us. Um, I think if we, if we can get that community around us, then, you know, we can actually, at least we can go to those people and say, I have this experience. I don't know if it was real, um, you know, help me out here. Has mm -hmm. anybody experienced that thing? Um, but people who don't just, they can go crazy at the end of the day. Oh, absolutely. And that's why it's so important to to talk to other witches, to talk to other magic workers, to talk to other people who are doing this sort of stuff, whatever that term is. And for a lot of people, they would prefer to talk to people that have the same worldview. So we tend to seek out similar practitioners. Oh, my, my understanding over here is based on Toltec stuff, so I want to talk to people who also have that understanding. Or it's based on English magic, so I want to talk to people who also have that understanding. And that's usually how we group ourselves and then have those communications so we can progress further. But it's also important to, 
to realize that we can talk to people with different worldviews. We're just probably going to have a, a lot of, oh, I'm using this word to mean this. What mm -hmm. are you using? What does that word mean to you? Because language and translations and everything else, you know, as we've discussed before, they, they don't always line up and they mm -hmm. don't get passed on. And it's not easy to talk about all of these other worldly experiences because they are numinous, you know? They they are by definition ineffable. That's why they're mysteries with a capital M. Mm. So it's still important to try. It's still important to work that out. It's still important to to reach out to others and to have that community because at the end of the day, it helps you ground in reality. You know? Yeah. Because if you're you're having these experiences again and again and again and everybody is telling you no you're not, I mean that's that's gaslighting. Mm. You know. Well, that's, I think that's one of the problems. I don't want to get to that just now. Um, useless familiar, um, alas, a little buffering. Yeah, sorry about that. There's something wrong with, with my connection to YouTube stream today. Um, if it's terrible, um, uh, you know, after I've I watched it later, I'm going to actually grab the video uh, from Kai and upload it separately uh, so you can actually check this. Otherwise, if you're on Twitch, you can connect on Twitch. Um, link is in the description. Yeah. Uh, we've got it. Yes, as I said just now, we have a backup. <laughs> oh, that, that's a lot, a lot, a lot around familiars and fetches and all of these options <laughs> for <Yes>. what, <laughs> what we mean when we say, oh, we're talking about familiars and fetches. Because like everything, it's, it's a huge huge topic with with a lot of things going on in it mm. i think i think specifically with the fetch i mean there's been a it's not just um geographical um it's also throughout history people have come to understand it as particular things and different things and that's why we do get that split that happens and the overlap with the familiar and things like that um I think most of the things of witchcraft is just one of these huge big topics that can take so many different directions. Well, yeah. And, and we've also got the benefit of looking at the accumulated knowledge of all of history. You know, mm. um, whether that's Google, Wikipedia, or the Akashic Records, there's a lot of information out there to go through and parse and... and figure out where it is uh, that we want to verify our experiences or open doors to new learning opportunities and experiences. So mm. there's a lot of options. But mm. in all of that, I think it's probably a good idea for people who want to do magic to pursue connection with a familiar or a fetch because it is considered a fairly safe thing to do. This is not some random spirit out there that has no connection to you and doesn't give a damn about you that you're trying to get to help you. This is something that is either given to you by a, a deity or is part of your soul or is part of the soul of your family somehow and your ancestors. You know, this is something that has a vested interest in your well-being 
and growth and thriving. So mm. connecting with this spirit, however that is language, knowledge and conversation of the Holy Guardian Angel, extruding the fetch body, gaining a familiar, I think it's an important step and it's a fairly safe one. You know, uh, we talked about dark and light time previously. That's not a fairly safe get out the gate and try that. <laughs> There's a lot of mm. things that can go wrong. But this, this is a fairly safe, if you're new to the craft, pursue making a connection with your familiar in some way. Yeah. Uh, I just want to say, because uh, I, I, I can imagine somebody watching this and thinking, okay, well, knowledge and conversation with the Holy Guardian Angel, you've got to do it like full time for 18 months and blah, blah, blah. I can't do that. You actually don't. Um, you know, when it comes to Crowley's Holy Guardian Angel, and as, as we said, it, it ties over with the with the fetch, um, it can be as simple as just each day just praying, um, just asking, I want to meet you, please come forward. And for some people, that, that can happen in one second. For other people, it can actually take 10, 15 years. Uh, there's no time frame on it. Um, so... You know, if, if all you've read is the abandonment operation um, and that's how you think you have to get hold of your fetch or your holy guardian angel or your personal demon, it's not. There's, um, a, there's a lot of ways to accomplish this, a lot. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if, if, if you're going on that info, just uh, bear in mind it's it's a very broad and wide world out there and there's lots of different ways to do lots of different things yeah pursue uh, it safely uh pursue it consciously don't do things you're not comfortable with you know and and in every instance no matter how you visualize or connect to the idea of this guardian guide spirit you can achieve contact through regular prayer mm. spend a little time every day asking that works in mm. every instance yeah so you don't need to do the bornless right you don't need to do libra Samek. you don't need to do a bremelin um I, if that's not your way you can if you want to if it works yeah. for you go for it's, it it's not it's not necessary it's not the only way yes and I would advise, since there are old grimoires and, and that sort of thing that say you need to offer your blood in order to make this connection, um, I don't think that's absolutely necessary, especially if it makes you uncomfortable, because it is a very intense offering, and it is a very um, binding offering. So if you're mm. not ready to do that and it makes you uncomfortable, don't do that. It's not required. You know, because we have spoken about, I think we spoke about um, the difference between, you know, working with a deity and actually um, finding that it's not the deity or it's not the demon, it's not the spirit you're looking for. It's an astral parasite that yes. is just making itself appear that way. That's... So if you if you have not been working with that spirit for some time and you have that bond where you can say, hi, I know it's you without without any doubt, um, definitely don't do blood offerings until you get to that point. Um, and, at that, 
you never have to do blood offerings if it's not something that makes sense in your worldview and your experience. It's no. not an eventually get there thing. Um, it's an option if it works for you, but it's not a requirement ever. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and I would be kind of suspicious of any spirit that showed up and told me otherwise. Yeah. You know, uh, always test the spirits. Always. Yeah. I mean, I have found in demonology they do, they do appreciate it, but it, it's it's not a requirement. Um, they don't demand it. Um, the reason it's done in demonology a lot of time is purely from a sacrificial point of view where you are causing yourself pain and that pain is sacrifice uh, so it's not actually the blood itself although that does create one connection but it's that it's that devotion it's that willingness to actually put yourself through pain in order to actually speak to a demon or a spirit and you know ask for something in return uh, and um, there, there are many other ways to demonstrate that devotion also um mm. And different traditions will have different preferred ways to to demonstrate that. I mean, you know, my familiar has asked of me to go and work at an animal shelter, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and things like that to save little lives in, in the road and, and that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of ways that those ideas can express themselves. Because mm -hmm. I think, yeah. Well, I think in witchcraft, especially when we talk about general witchcraft um, and traditional craft and, and we start getting into these things, there is a tendency to get that dark and edgy aesthetic. Mm. You know, oh, you know, I go out at midnight and commune with the devil and find the great frog and nurse it from my nipple. And, you know, that doesn't have to be the way things are. And it doesn't have to be languaged like that. Um, mm. Witchcraft is a serious practice. It is a transformative practice of a, an unfolding of the self, but it doesn't have to be this dark and edgy aesthetic that's concerned with blood and pain and sacrifice and enslavement and those sort of things. And I, that that's part of the history. It's in the lore, it's there, but it doesn't, have to be translated into our modern practices verbatim because mm -hmm. there are things like i said before that we don't want to carry forward there are practices that don't make sense that we don't need to carry with us yeah and some that are a bit archaic but i mean in all of this it's about creating your own path and that path um, needs to be comfortable for you i mean a lot of people call it the path of heart so if it doesn't feel right in your heart, you don't do it. Um, you find an alternative way. And I'm going to say, on the other hand, you can't just make stuff up. No, no, um, yeah. So we say creating your own path, but that doesn't mean whole cloth just imagining it all. Because what will happen is you will create kind of a pocket reality in the astral where you keep reinforcing this story. So you will have experiences inside of it, but they won't have any effect. They won't be able to produce magic. They won't be able to, to help protect you and that sort of thing, which is another reason it's really important to talk to other magic practitioners. 
to help keep you in both worlds effectively, to help keep that grounding in your physical reality that allows you to actually manifest and experience and, and grow. So it's possible to, to make a fantasy world and implant yourself in it, especially early on, and especially if you're isolated. So that's why it's so important to talk to other people and talk to other people that um, you know you can trust. You know, this is someone you can go to um, and, and tell them this wild, crazy experience. And you can trust that they will say, oh, I've had an experience like that. Why don't you look into this? Or I think you might just be having a fantasy. Let's find some ways to test it. You know, so it's a balance like all things, you know, it needs to be. It needs to be in in the middle and balanced between those yeah. two extremes. Yeah. All right then. Um, well, Viv says, as Don Juan would say, "Does this path have a heart?" Yes. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> um, it's like that, as I mentioned just now, book I was reading last night. Um, the one guy says, "The journey is not that far. It's only from your head to your heart." Uh, <laughs> I thought it was quite good. Yes, that, that's that's a good mm. way of phrasing that. All right, should we bring today to an end? I think we have we have talked and talked, and um, hopefully everyone's had a chance to share their thoughts and questions with us in the the chat on Twitch, if not on YouTube. But mm -hmm. as always, if you're watching this later and you have some comments or some thoughts you'd like to share with us join our facebook community the wildwood temple um, links all over the place everywhere we are and let us know what you think it is a, a fairly private community so if there's stuff you'd like to share there with fellow practitioners you can do that and then we do have um, a meeting on sundays that is just for members of the temple where we get to sit around and chat like this about whatever sometimes it's just what tea we're drinking that day and sometimes it's serious magical stuff so if you're interested in that please join us in our wildwood temple community on facebook yes and also just a reminder of uh, the buymeacoffee.com forward slash black hat chat and um, we're also on patreon under the same name uh, if you want to support us we would really appreciate it and keep us keep us happy and healthy and going with equipment with equipment <laughs> i need new, i need new equipment i've got new equipment it's not that great anymore that was a week ago two weeks ago <laughs> oh a week ago it was a week yeah um all right next week we are speaking about the witch within the community and responsibilities of the witch and things like that. Um, so that should be quite interesting. And so I guess that's it, and we'll see everybody next week. Yep. Thank you Thanks. all for joining us today. Yep. And have a good one. I'll just join the group. We'll see you on the group. Simple as that. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye, all.